So here we are, January 15th uh, already, already two weeks into the new year. Did you, uh, did you make any New Year's resolutions, I wonder? Yes, no? You do that kind of thing? I don't know. How's it going? Um, you know, I find sometimes just, it doesn't take long, does it, sometimes to start the year with great intentions, and I want to exercise more and eat better and read my Bible more often or whatever uh, we may try to decide as a new year, as a chance for new beginnings. Um, but it's hard to stick with it sometimes, isn't it? Uh, this month, we are just doing a short series of messages based on the book of Proverbs, simply called New Year's Wisdom. So five Sundays in January, five different speakers, five different topics, a variety of passages throughout the book of Proverbs, but I really have sensed just one underlying theme, and it's really the theme of the book of Proverbs. How do we live the Christian life with wisdom? You see, the book of Proverbs does two things. On one, on one hand, it warns us against making foolish decisions, and then two, it encourages us then to make wise decisions. And doesn't that kind of sum up life? I mean, we are faced daily with making decisions, all day, all the time. Sometimes we make the wise decisions, and then we reap the benefit of those decisions. And sometimes we make foolish decisions, and we suffer the consequences. And Proverbs is a great book to study, especially at the start of a new year, if we want great advice on how to live. It gives us guidance on friendship and finances and planning and marriage, which, incidentally, uh, Corey Anderson next week will be speaking to that issue. It speaks to the issue of humility and listening and even our speech. We aren't going to cover every one of the topics that I just listed, but we will touch on some important ones that we can then use to kind of guide us on how to live in 2017. Two weeks ago, Dr. Sid Page started us off by reminding us that wisdom starts with a relationship with the Lord, that we live our entire lives built upon that foundation. It is our relationship to God through Jesus that ultimately then leads us to living lives of obedience. So to know how God wants us to live, there simply is no substitute for reading God's Word. So in 2017, if you haven't already started um, a, a daily Bible reading plan, it's not too late. It's a great discipline to build into your daily routine, daily Bible reading. Now, we encourage the reading of the Life Journal. It's just a, a simple um, Bible reading program. It's, uh, if you go to the homepage on our website, there's a link right at the bottom that uh, coincidentally enough says Life Journal, and so you can find it uh, quite easy that way. Um, maybe you want to pick up a journal or uh, as a resource. It's only $10. It's on the, on the back table there, and it has a checklist right in it. If you prefer kind of the, the old school hard copy method, you can find those there. Or just go to your computer and Google Bible reading plans and you'll be amazed at what you find. Or go to BibleGateway.com or any number of the resources that are out there. There's so many options, but the point is simply this. is Find something that works for you and then get reading. And last week, Pastor Robert Sanford encouraged us to be cheerful and joyful, to have a, a happy heart, and then to encourage this in the lives of others as well. Now, that doesn't mean that we just paste on a fake smile when we're experiencing pain, but even in the midst of that heartache, that we can know the joy of a relationship with Jesus. And so, so far in 2017, we've been encouraged to make smart choices and to, um, 
choose to laugh and to laugh often. Two great messages now that have gotten us started in this, into this new year. So that brings us today. Proverbs has a lot to say about how we live, as I've been saying. Um, but specifically this morning, I want to talk about how we talk or our speech. Specifically, I've been led to share about how speaking the truth in love is such a critical discipline practice for us as believers. And this is a phrase, speaking the truth in love, that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians. And we're going to look at that in a few minutes. But first I want us to consider what Proverbs teaches us about our speech. So Proverbs, as I said, is all about wisdom, which is really not head knowledge, the things that we know, but rather it's about masterful understanding or skill. And so Proverbs is about the skill of godly living with respect to God and with other people. It, it speaks, among other things, to having wisdom in our speech. And if you just stop and think about it, what do we do more every day than almost anything else besides eating? We talk, right? Unless you live by yourself or, and you, you maybe don't get out during the day. Um, those can be lonely situations, I understand that. But for most people, you are out engaging in family life, in work life, at school. Um, wherever it is, we are engaging in conversation. And so, we know that one of the most practical skills that we can use in everyday situations and relationships is our speech. We talk a lot. Maybe you're saying, well, you just talk a lot. But words, as you know, have power, right? Words can cut, but words can also encourage. Uh, words can hurt, and they can heal. Words can drive wedges between people, but they can also draw people into deeper relationships with one another. And so if ever there is a skill to, to which we need to apply wisdom, it's, it's how we talk to one another. So let's just review some of the verses from Proverbs, the ones that Paul read for us, and see what we can learn about our speech. So Proverbs 15, verse 1. And if you read through the entire book of Proverbs and underlined every, every um, proverb that has to do with speech, uh, you would be amazed at the incredible number of verses that speak to that. So I've just chosen a few here from chapter 15. But the first one, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you found that to be true? Has that been your experience? A tender and compassionate response will usually calm a situation and often subdue anger. But a Word of pain. In fact, that's what a harsh word literally means. A word of pain is a word that is hurtful and painful. And those kind of words, what do they do? They just stir the pot. And, and speech isn't just confined to the words that we speak, right? They can be words that we write or text or comments on Facebook. I, I'm often surprised, although, although I probably shouldn't be, I guess, at some of the posts that you might find on, for example, the Twilliger Community League Facebook page. Often they start innocently enough. You know, someone posts about something in the community that they had witnessed. Maybe it upset them a little bit. You know, drivers in the roundabouts is a familiar topic in these areas if you follow, follow that particular group. 
um, you know, people picking through the recycling, you know, like important stuff like that. And, and sometimes, not that driving through roundabout, like that gets me all riled up too, I'm just saying, but sometimes the result of these comments is just unbelievable. It's, it gets into name calling and tongue lashings. And these aren't junior high kids, these are adults to adults hiding behind a screen and a keyboard. And it's like, whoa, that escalated quickly. So maybe the next time that we want to comment on a Facebook post or reply to a text, we should remember simply this. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Right? Real practical. Proverbs 15, verse 2. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge. But I like this. But the mouth of a fool gushes folly. Again, Facebook application. You probably think that I have a hate on for Facebook. I don't actually. There there are lots of reasons to like Facebook. But if you use Facebook, I think you would agree that there's actually something beautiful about comments that are controlled by loving emotions and sound thought. That there's some depth to it. You know that somebody isn't just running off their mouth. But when they do, you think, wow. The mouth of a fool gushes folly. There are those just plain foolish comments, aren't there? Or how about Proverbs 15, verse 4? The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. I mean, just think about what this proverb is saying. It's just saying a gentle word, right? A, a, A soothing word. In an appropriate situation, it in fact brings nourishment and healing and life to a given situation. On the other hand, a vicious word, right? A perverse tongue. It can injure. It can damage morale. It can just suck the life out of you. Words, as you probably are well aware, can deal an absolutely crushing blow. And we don't quickly, if even at all, ever forget those kind of words. Because somehow the damage has been done. But sometimes it's not so much what is said as much as how it is received. And so then continue on, Proverbs 15, verse 5. A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Now, those of us who are parents, I think we like verses like this. In fact, as I read, I was thinking, you know those, those wooden signs with words and phrases on them? They're, they're pretty popular right now. They might be something like, like family rules, something similar to that. Someone should make one with the first half of that verse on it, don't you think? A, spool, a fool spurns a parent's discipline. And then every time your child doesn't respond to your words of discipline, you just got to point over at the sign. I mean, I know it's pretty passive-aggressive, but still, I think it would be pretty effective. But whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Or as the New Living Translation captures it, whoever learns from correction is wise. Let's face it. I mean, most of us don't like to be corrected. But that's how we learn. Right? Think about it. What what if a teacher returned a math exam and at the top of the page you just read 75%? But there were no check marks, no X's, no other information throughout the rest of the exam. And so you actually never know what you got right and what you got wrong. 
But is that how we learn? No, it's when we are affirmed for what we got right, we see the check mark. Good, I got that. I understand that concept. But we want to know also what we got wrong. And so we can correct it and get it right the next time. And in life, that is how we learn and grow as well. Sometimes we are the one offering correction. And sometimes we are the ones receiving it. And this proverb commends those who are wise as being the one who pays attention to the correction and learns from it. And I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the primary ways that we mature and grow as a disciple of Jesus is when others have the grace and the courage to speak truth into our lives. In fact, Proverbs 27 verse 5 says this, Better is open rebuke. Better is open rebuke. We usually don't want to see better and rebuke in the same phrase. But better is open rebuke than hidden love. And sometimes the most loving thing we can do for one another is to provide clear correction. And sometimes, maybe even often, that correction is candid. It might be cutting. But it's motivated, and especially if it's motivated by a genuine concern for the good of the other person. In contrast to these clear and direct words of correction, there is this hidden love. In other words, this is love that isn't really love because it fails to actually provide the correction that's necessary. Right? So we don't say anything. We, we just want to sweep it under the carpet. We, we just want it to go away. We, we want to try to forget about it. But it doesn't go away. And then we rationalize why we shouldn't say something. We just don't want to hurt somebody. And the contrast here in this proverb is, is between an open rebuke and hidden love. Open rebuke gives a, a person the chance to reflect on the course of the path that they're walking on. Whereas hidden love, it, it, it recognizes that they're going on the wrong path, but it just simply fails to address the issue. And that's not really love. As if to pile on and to make this really clear, the next Proverbs 27 verse 6 says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Think about that. The wounds of a friend are meant sometimes to cut to the heart for the good of the person. Whereas the kisses of an enemy are specifically devised to appease the heart. And it's so deceptive. It's, it's this great cover-up. Now, there are many pr more Proverbs scattered throughout the book that, that absolutely despise flattering and insist that wise people not only administer rebuke in a kind and thoughtful and loving way, but they themselves accept it and learn from it. I like Proverbs 15.31. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Did you catch that? Just turn it around. Just think about it. It's like, okay, so the wise person is the one who heeds correction. But I love the description. It's life-giving. Can you just think about how helpful we can be to one another when we are blind 
to our own faults and weaknesses and the way we might treat somebody or the way we might say something. And they have the, lo- the grace and the love and courage to come to us and say, when you said this, that hurt. We'll talk a little bit more about how to do that. But can you see how loving that is and how helpful that is? So that verse is so good. Whoever heeds life-giving instruction will be at home among the wise. I don't know if it was because I was looking for a way to illustrate this or if I was looking just for a way to demonstrate how wise I am, but I had, I'm using sarcasm, I'm I'm pro at it, a little self-deprecating humor. But anyways, but I had at least two people in this week alone speak truth into my life. One was a good friend who heard me ramble on about some stuff in my life And then the next morning just thoughtfully texted this. If I can take some grace with you, I sensed fear in some of your comments last night. I think it is really important that we do not give in to the temptation to dwell there. Now there was more to it, but that was the essence of it. You know what? They're wise words. And I didn't I didn't receive those right away. I kind of just went, no, no, it's not it's not fear, blah, blah, blah. Rejected it a little bit. But you know what? As the more I thought about it, I was wrong. And there's no surprise there. Because my wife will tell you that I'm often wrong. She was the other one that corrected me this week. We like to have a lot of fun in our house. Sometimes it's just good-natured teasing. Other times I use sarcasm like a pro. Little comments that cut, but I'll say them in just a casual way with a smile on my face. Because doesn't that make them okay? No, I'm just joking. Don't be so touchy. And she called me on it. And already several times since, I've said something. I haven't even caught the words because I'm, I'm not that far along in the process yet. But I've said it. And then as soon as I said it, I went, oh, I just did it again, didn't I? See how wise I am? Heeding the life-giving correction. Try it. It's so good. But I'm going to say it again. One of the primary ways that we mature and grow as a disciple of Jesus is when we speak truth in love to others. And we give others the permission to do the same for us. We grow when we do the speaking and even when we do the receiving. And so I referred earlier to this phrase, speaking the truth in love, and it's a verse a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians. And so let's look a little bit at what Ephesians teaches us now about speaking the truth in love. And in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, the Apostle Paul writes this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, We will speak the truth in love, 
growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And then goes on and, and explains really how that is done, even in the context of our speech and our talking. But for our purposes this morning, I wanted to just draw out the fact that the Apostle Paul, he makes this direct connection between spiritual maturity and one specific practice. What do you think it was? In other words, what Paul is saying is that our ability to grow up and our ability to mature is linked to the practice of telling the truth to one another in a way that ultimately expresses authentic love. You see, our character, who we are as people, is formed through redemptive speech. When we can have conversations that build and encourage and sometimes challenge and correct and kind of move us along in our journey. <clears throat> but what does it mean to speak the truth in love? The Greek word here for truth literally means non-concealment. In other words, tr truth is what really is. It's, it's not covered up or falsified. <clears throat> and spiritual maturity comes from speech that is edifying, from, from words that build up and offer grace to one another. In other words, we are growing up and maturing through, as one writer puts it, gracious candor, right? So we have these gracious conversations where we breathe grace to one another, <clears throat> but we do find the opportunity when it's relevant to correct one another on whatever the issue might be. Now there's a problem with this. Because I think where we get it wrong is that sometimes we are so loving that we aren't truthful anymore. And then there's other times, on the flip side, that we're so truthful that we aren't very loving. And it's truth and love. Grace and truth. John Orkberg writes, This is a very important theological distinction between being a prophet and being a jerk. What burns deeply in the heart of a true prophet is not just anger, but love. You see, how we speak to one another determines the direction and the depth of our growth. Let me try to illustrate this for you, and I'm going to carry this illustration now through all of these points, and hopefully we can learn something about how we then speak the truth in love. But imagine that a friend of yours comes to you and they borrow $1,000 from you and promises to pay you back within the month. Six weeks pass without any payment or even a word from your friend. You don't understand this. You start to feel some disappointment. You, you even start to feel like maybe you were taken advantage of. And you know you need to speak to him about it. But at the same time, you're worried about the fact that he might respond negatively. Now, if your normal response is guided by love and relationships, right, you're emphasizing that love side, your first instinct is going to be just to deny any of the emotions that you feel. You're going to avoid any conversation with your friend at all because you're going to wait for him to contact you. Of course, he doesn't. And the problem doesn't go away. It lingers, and then with each passing day, you grow angrier and angrier toward your friend. 
And what starts to happen? A barrier slowly starts to rise. Or perhaps you're a person that's now guided by the truth side. Truth and order. That's what matters most. Your sense of self-protection and of right and wrong. And of course, it's you being right now and the other person is wrong. Uh, it'll likely prompt you then to, to pick up the phone and, or send an email, right? To give them a piece of your mind. And you just blast away all truth, no love. And you justify doing this because your friend needs to know how selfish he is being. Of course, your verbal attack now, it just shuts down any possibility of dialogue or understanding between you and your friend. And this barrier continues to rise. Now let's suppose that your friend actually had a sudden financial emergency that you didn't know about that kept him from keeping his commitment. What would either of those responses have achieved? In either case, whether it was evading the issue or confronting the issue in anger, neither you nor your friend now will have a safe and healthy opportunity to hear, to understand, and to address the other's point of view. Now, you may even feel justified in your actions, but, but, but all you know is what you knew before. You're stuck with the same um, untested assumptions and conclusions. There's no growth, no alternative perspective by which you can then evaluate and judge if your ideas are true. Moreover, in, in time, these unchecked assumptions, they have a way of becoming truth for you. And so now the future response to your friend is going to be controlled and influenced by the belief that this person now is untrustworthy or selfish. Because those are the conclusions that we've drawn simply because of the fact that they didn't pay back the money the way they said that they would. Now, add to this your friend's response. What if he responded as you did? With either silence, just not going to say anything, or anger. Wouldn't that make the problem worse? And it would hinder any possible for, possibility for any mutual understanding and growth. You see, refusing to speak the truth in love always hinders growth. It's so important. So how do we do it? How do we speak the truth in love? There really is no exact how-to list for speaking the truth in love. In fact, I would suggest that we learn to speak the truth in love by speaking the truth in love. We just have to practice it. And we're not going to get it right right away. Like anything that we're trying to learn a new skill at, we need to practice it so it becomes a little easier. But I do think it is something that we can develop over time. Now, one of my writers that I like to read about this kind of a subject, his name's Jim Van Eypren, and he suggests four elements of effective speech that will provide a guide for us and for our learning this morning. And so I'm indebted to him. And these are the four words, and then I'm going to explain them a little bit. And, and hopefully um, we can learn something together this morning. The first is framing, and then advocating, illustrating, and inquiring. So first, framing. Framing is exactly what it is. It's just providing a context... Uh, it provides a focus and a context and boundaries for the thing that we're going to talk about. So in conversation, framing directs the conversation to a specific issue, goal, or subject. 
And this, this step, framing, is absolutely essential for speaking the truth in love because it's now going to let the listener know what the purpose and the context of the conversation is about. And at the same time, framing provides a discipline for the speaker to be very specific without surf- or even while surfacing maybe some emotions and the concerns. And so now going back to the illustration about the guy that you borrowed $1,000, it's now he's going to pay it back in a month, it's now six weeks later, Framing the issue now will allow you to introduce this specific topic of your concern while naming and taking responsibility for your feelings in a way that offers safety and empathy for your friend. So you might start the conversation something like this. John? Just use that name. I don't know if John's here or not this morning. I would like to talk to you about the $1,000 that you borrowed from me. I didn't want to talk to you about this because I don't want to hurt you, but it has bothered me that you've not repaid the loan and I don't want this to come between us. Do you see the difference? Like you just set the boundaries now. I want to talk to you about this. This is the $1,000 that you're there. It's bothered me that you haven't repaid it. And I don't want this to be something that comes between us and creates a barrier, right? Think about the alternative to starting a conversation like that. You are a selfish jerk. I, in good faith, borrowed you $1,000 and you still haven't paid it back. What does that do? It shuts the conversation down. If you say, I want to talk to you about this. I didn't want to. I thought it might hurt you. It's bothered me. Right? It's just completely different. And so framing is just a general and brief statement about what you want to talk about. You're, you're, you're setting the, the agenda for the conversation. So then advocating. Advocacy is just an explicit statement now of verbal support for a cause or the promotion of idea in terms that everyone then can understand. This is now when you say something like, you know, we have to be able to trust one another. Right? Because that's true, right? We have to be able to trust one another. You see, the best and most, um, uh, so in other words, advocacy now is just a simple, concrete statement about what you feel, believe, or think needs to happen. And the best and most difficult form of advocacy is stating what you will feel right in that moment. Now, we usually avoid stating our feelings because we don't want to be vulnerable. Yet, by making ourselves vulnerable, it invites humility and authenticity into the conversation. And so this advocacy here, it's actually the truth side of speaking the truth in love. Advocacy says, this is what I believe. This is what I'm feeling. And so again, let me take you back to our situation. You might say something like, you know, I was counting on you to pay back the money you borrowed, and now that you have not paid me, I'm disappointed and confused. You see, so advocacy, it's still direct, but it's also loving. And it should, in fact, invite conversation and stop short of judging intent. Because that's what we do, right? We'll we'll judge the person's intent in not paying back. Well, you're just selfish. You thought I'd forget about it. It's $1,000. You're not going to forget about it. Loving advocacy always speaks what you believe based on what you know. But get this. You have to be fully aware that you need more information to understand completely. There might have been something going on that you were unaware of. And so the next step then is illustrating. 
To illustrate then is simply to tell a story that visualizes the consequences or implications of your concern. Illustrating gives a tangible example of why your thoughts or feelings are important. An illustration is really a story. It's a story that invites people into a way of thinking and feeling about the subject, now from a different vantage point. So to continue with our scenario, you might say something now like, when I lent you the money, I didn't really have much in the bank, but I really wanted to help you. At the same time, I was counting on you paying the loan back so that I could pay my bills. But now I'm being charged interest on my credit card because I was not able to pay, right? You've just illustrated your story. You illustrated why it's important that they pay you back the $1,000 after the month, okay? So you're walking this through. You're, you're framing what the subject, what the point of the conversation is about. You're advocating that, that what we feel and believe and think needs to happen. Now you illustrate it with a story of how that's impacted you. And lastly, it's inquiring, and it's this last form of communication that is absolutely essential for speaking the truth in love. It's inquiry. It opens the door for feedback and dialogue. It provides a pathway for mutual understanding by asking a question and, in fact, inviting and welcoming a response. So now, again, you've you just told them that you're being charged interest because you weren't able to pay your own credit card. And, and so you can say things like, did you, did you understand what I'm saying? Or do you see this differently? Can you see my perspective? Or how do you view this? And so it's engaging in a conversation. You're not coming in heavy-handed. You're not just putting them in their place. You're not just giving them a piece of your mind. You're honestly just walking through a process where you have framed the issue. You've advocated for what needs to happen. You've illustrated the story. And then you've asked for feedback and trying to get more information. And so when we ask these kind of questions, it always has to come from a, an outward or an other-centered point of view where we are, in fact, seeking to discover what the other person understands, thinks, or feels. Right? Because then maybe they say, like, that, that's when they tell you maybe, you know what, I'm really sorry for that. I, I had a, an, another me, uh, financial emergency that came up, and I had to deal with that. I, I'm sorry, I, I should have told you that it was going to take me a few weeks longer to pay, your, pay that back. I'm sorry that I didn't do that. Now, isn't that a different way of using wise speech than attacking and judging and condemning and asking what people's, uh, you know, just assuming that you know exactly why they did what they did or didn't do why they didn't do? Right? We're trying to understand. And whenever we approach a conversation like this, we have to approach it from the assumption that I don't know all that I need to know to understand the truth. In fact, this kind of inquiry, it assumes that some of what I now believe is likely false or only partially true. So speaking the truth in love, it actually requires an openness to ask, to listen, and then to respond to what is said. The key to inquiry is asking in such a way that you are sincere and can be trusted to really listen. In fact, the best inquiry invites the other person then to correct any assumptions you may have made. My understanding is that you were going to repay the loan within a month. Is that right? Was that your understanding? Maybe that was accidentally missed in the conversation to begin with. 
And so for all these weeks, you've been dealing with this growing anger inside that could have all been avoided with just a healthy, speaking the truth and love kind of conversation. Framing, advocating, illustrating, and inquiring. You see, speaking the truth and love, it requires a discipline of self-awareness in a moment so that you can honestly frame the issue you want to discuss, state specifically your point of view, giving an illustration to support your conclusions, and then openly invite feedback for learning. And most of us do not speak the truth in love because we concentrate on maybe one or two of these forms of communication instead of weaving them all together. We just want to get the truth out. Or we just, we just want to express how we feel. So do you want to grow in character and maturity in 2017? I honestly believe that the journey to maturity includes learning the art, because it is an art, of speaking the truth in love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and just even as we look to Proverbs and we see how practical it is in our everyday lives and who of us doesn't have conversation and we recognize that in any given situation that we might face. And Lord, I, I suspect that even in a group this size, there are people that have some hurts. They have some feelings that maybe they've been offended in some way. Something's been said. Something's been done. And our tendency is, because we want to we wanna love, we want to be like Jesus. But Jesus was full of grace and truth. And I pray, Father, that we would actually see Jesus as our model. That there is a way to call it as it is, but there is a way to do that with love and grace, kindness. So, Lord, maybe, you know, this is just such a um, specific teaching that it will be hard for us maybe to remember that. But I, I pray, Lord, that you might give us an opportunity to just actually think through a practical, real-life, current situation. Maybe it's even a past situation that went desperately wrong. And But when we look back on it, we realize that there's so many things that we could have learned and how we could have done that better. And so I pray, Father, that you would help each of us to grow and mature through the practice of speaking the truth in love to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.